If you're like me, and I hope for your sake that you're not, if, you, if you're like me, you struggle financially from time to time. You struggle to put, uh, to make ends meet from week to week. You may live paycheck to paycheck like I do from time to time. Uh, there's, you know, bills that have to be paid, a mortgage that has to be paid. There's uh, NIFSCO that has to, to be paid to keep the lights on. There's, there's the boy, the boy who never stops growing and, and for some reason lives on his knees and d- lives to destroy jeans and uh, have to buy new ones because he can't go to school in, with jeans with holes in them. And definitely his mother won't let him come to church with holes in his jeans. His father says, look, I can't afford more jeans. He's wearing what he's got. I struggle financially. And I, I don't want you to think, well, the church should just pay you more. No, I'm well paid. Don't get me wrong. The problem is, is I'm not always good with my money. The problem is that a lot of the struggles that I have financially are sometimes of my own making. They're poor decisions that I have made, not being a good steward with what I've been blessed with. Uh, Such as, you know, I'm hungry and I have a freezer full of food and a refrigerator full of food and a pantry full of food, but I hear the siren call of Culver's. (laughs) Come get the butter burger. Oh, the butter burger. How many of you like the butter burger? (laughs) Oh, way too many of us like the butter burger. Oh, yeah. But it's like, I, I don't need the Butterburger. In fact, I, I, I really don't need the Butterburger, but I don't want to go home and, and throw uh, a, a Lean Cuisine like I should in the microwave, and instead I go to get the Butterburger instead, and all too often. So my, a lot of my financial struggles are a result of my own doing. And what happens is, is I get stressed out because of it. I worry a lot because of it. I worry about making ends meet. Uh, do I pay this bill this month or do I pay this bill this month? Hmm. <laughs> Somebody said, hmm. You're like they've done that before. You, you know, this medical bill, well, we'll call and put it on another payment plan. Right? We've all been there. Or we're going through it now. Or it may happen to us at some point. You see, the struggles and the worries and the fears that we have financially really weigh on us. They take their toll on us. You know, maybe, maybe you uh, have a struggle financially with paying your mortgage. Right now, it's just like, I, I don't know how I'm going to, I'm afraid they're going to take my house. Or, or maybe you're having a struggle uh, because you can't find a job. You want to work. You want to go find a job. You want to do something, but there just seems to be no jobs. Or you're worried about getting laid off. U.S. Steel just announced 323 layoffs. And you're worried about losing your job. You're worried about getting laid off or your, your company is on strike. Anybody hear, hear that lately? Has that been in the news? Your company's been on strike for almost three months. And, and, and the bills are piling up. And things are not getting better. And, and, and the family has to eat. And you're struggling financially. And it's got you worried. And you're afraid. You're fearful. You have anxiety. And it keeps you up at night. You you just lay there awake going, I I don't know how I'm going to do this. I I don't know how I'm going to make it. 
And, and, and it doesn't just affect you. It, it doesn't just affect what's going on in, in you. Because your spouse sees it. Your spouse feels it. And your spouse is saying, what's wrong? What's the matter? And don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Just, just don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. And you won't let them in. Maybe you're the breadwinner or maybe you're the, the one who does the finances and you look at the numbers and they're just not adding up and you just don't know and the bills are coming and they have that red ink on them and the red ink is never good. And you won't let your spouse in. You won't say, I need your help. And so they're stressed out and they're worried about it because you won't let them in and you won't, let, you won't reveal what's going on. And then your kids are stressed out because all they see is mom and dad fighting all the time over money. The number one reason for divorce in America is money. And not because you have too much. <laughs> And so the kids are stressed out and they're worried and they're going to school with all these worries in their minds. Are mom and dad going to split up because we don't have enough money? Is there anything I can do? I'll sell my toys. And so we get stressed out and we get worried and we're afraid because our finances just don't add up. It's really hard to see with eyes of faith when the problems of finances are so in our face. It's really hard. But I, I think there's a really good story from Scripture that really speaks to this problem and, and, and can really help us with our financial struggles and our financial needs. We're, we're looking at a, a, a sermon series called The Power of God in Your Life, and it's all about Jesus' miracles in the book of John. And this is the fourth one that we're, we're looking at. Uh, the first one was when Jesus changed water into wine in Cana of Galilee, that he took ordinary water and turned it into extraordinary wine, showing that he had the power over every... I love what Mark Batterson says. He's got the power over every single molecule in the universe. That's awesome. So he changed water into wine. Uh, the next week, uh, we looked at how uh, Jesus healed a royal official's son from a long way away. He was 20 miles away, and Jesus spoke the words, and this royal official's son was healed. He was desperate for the healing of his son, and Jesus reaches out to this man uh, in his desperation and says, your son will live. He was desperate, and Jesus brought the power of God into his life. Last week, we talked about a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He hadn't walked in 38 years. And he was uh, full of superstitions. He had religi- a religious superstition about how uh, God would, uh, he would be healed if he could just get into this pool of water at the right time. Jesus didn't want his superstitions. He didn't want his excuses. The man made excuses for why he couldn't be healed. Jesus didn't want his superstitions and he didn't want his his excuses. He wanted the man's faith. And so he told him to do three things. He said, get up, take up your mat, and walk. He had to walk away from the pool of excuses. He had to walk away from the pool of superstitions in order to be healed. And so he put his faith in Jesus and he obeyed Christ and he walked. That brings us to John chapter 6, which is where we are today. We're going to look at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. If you brought your Bible, you can grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. If you didn't grab your Bible, if you didn't bring it with you today, and you want to use the Bible in the pew in front of you, it's on page 754, if you're not familiar with the New Testament. 
Uh, page 754 is where you'll find it in your pew Bible. Jesus and his uh, disciples uh, were in a boat and they sailed across the Sea of Galilee to a city called Bethsaida. Now this is the northernmost city in the Sea of Galilee. So they sail across the sea to this city. And uh, Jesus' popularity is at an all-time high. Everywhere he goes, people are following him. They've seen his miracles. They've seen him do amazing things. And everywhere he goes, people are following him. They're right behind him. And what's amazing about this story is that they sail across the sea. They've gone to a completely different part of, the, of uh, Israel. Uh, they hadn't been there before uh, that we know of. And so they arrive, and Jesus and his disciples go up on a mountainside. And a huge crowd comes up following him. The Bible tells us, uh, the amazing thing about this story is that it is the, one of the only stories written about in all four Gospels. It is the only, one of the only stories written about in all four Gospels. There's two of them. The, the other is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, when Jesus came back from the dead, all four Gospel writers said, hmm, I think we should include that. That's kind of important. So uh, the resurrection is one of them. And then this story, today's story, is the other story that is mentioned in all four Gospels. It's fascinating to me that this one, because it's such a major miracle, such a monumental task, it's such a monumental miracle of what Jesus did in John chapter 6. So Jesus and his disciples are on this hill, they're on this mountain, and all of a sudden this huge crowd comes up. The Bible tells us uh, that the number of men, just the number of men who were there was 5,000. 5,000 men have come to follow Jesus. They're, they're following right behind him. Could you imagine being one of his disciples? You're up on this mountain, all of a sudden you look over the ridge, and here comes 5,000 men. This doesn't include the women and children. They would have sat separately from the men. But it's, it's possible that there were 20,000 people on this hillside. Could you imagine if the entire population of Griffith like you were, you were sitting in Central Park, and all of a sudden, all the entire population of Griffith just started walking and gathering in the park. I mean, where do all these people come from? What is going? Who are they following? Twenty thousand people following Jesus. Now we're going to pick up the story in chapter six, verse five. It says, "When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip." Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He was, he, he's testing Philip's eyes. What do you see, Philip? What do you see? I see 20,000 people. Uh, one of the other reasons that he asked Philip this question is because Philip was from Bethsaida. And so Jesus says to Philip, um, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? You know the area. You're from the region. Where are we going to get bread for all these people? And uh, this is what Philip says. Pick it up in verse 7. Or, uh, Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with small five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. One of the other Gospels says that they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they had wanted. 
He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he says to Philip, Philip, what do you see? How are we going to feed all of these people? Where are, how are we going to feed them? Where can we buy bread for these people? He says eight months' wages would not have been enough. And the, the actual Greek figure is 200 denarii. A denarii was a Roman unit of currency. It's like a small, the King James says pennies. 200 pennies would not be enough to buy bread for all these people. Uh, a denarius was equal to a day's wage. If you were putting this in modern terms, it'd be a couple, it'd be several thousand dollars. But even, even still, could you imagine trying to buy enough food for 20,000 people? Trying to fill, uh, imagine you go to the United Center to a Blackhawks game. Go Hawks. Go, you go to a Blackhawks game, and then you're trying to feed everybody in the building. Where are we going to buy enough food for, we can't go to Portillo's and buy enough hot dogs for everybody in this building. So Jesus is sitting there, and he's, he's, he knows what he's going to do. He's got it in mind. He knows what he's going to do. And all of a sudden, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Peter's brother Andrew comes up and says, here's a boy, a young lad. He's got five little loaves of bread and two little fish. Now, the five loaves of bread, we're not talking like, you know, a, a loaf of French bread that you buy at Meyer or Strax. We're talking small little, almost like little pancake-sized loaves of bread. So just tiny little, and they're made of barley. And barley was like the cheapest of the cheap when it came to grain. It was the poor man's grain. Didn't mean it wasn't healthy. It, it was just for poor people. So you've got a poor young boy whose mom sent him uh, out with a little bit of lunch, uh, five little pancakes of barley, and two little fish. We're talking sardine-sized fish. They would actually be used more for like a relish on the, uh, on the bread. So you got this little boy and and. Andrew says, we have, this is what we have. You see, Philip saw the situation with human eyes, and he could only see the problem. The problem was they didn't have enough money, and they didn't have enough bread, and all these people are hungry. But then you got Andrew, and Andrew sees the possibilities, because Andrew sees with eyes of faith. He says, we, we, we do have something. Don't know what we're going to do with it, but we have something. Jesus tells them to have the people sit down on the grass. So they all sit down. And he takes what he's been given. He prays and gives thanks for it. He then blesses it. And then he begins to tear it up and pass it out. Now, I said to the first service, and I still wonder, what did this look like? How did this happen? Do you know how long it would take to take, to, to take five little loaves of bread and two little fish and divide it among 20,000 people? I mean, yes, he's, he's performing a miracle. He's multiplying it in, in his hands, and he's just tearing. I, I wonder if it looked like Will Ferrell and Elf trying to uh, cut up snowflakes, you know? You know, and you know what I'm talking You've seen the movie Elf, right, when he's cutting up the snow? Okay, good. I'm not the only one here. But I, could you imagine? I mean, Jesus sitting there, what's he doing? Like, as fast as he can? Anyway, whatever he does, he takes five little loaves of bread, two fish, divides it up amongst everybody, and then he says, give it to everyone as much as they want. As, but he takes an ordinary day and turns it into old country buffet. 
Now, see, the first service went, oh, like really lame joke, Sean. This is why second service is my favorite. <laughs> Some of you are like, I usually go to first service. I'm going to tell them next week. I'm going to tell them what you said. And see, I won't put the second service sermon on the Internet now. I'll put the first one on. Not just a pretty box. But uh, so uh, where was I? Uh, Jesus is dividing it up, right? He's, he's handing it out. He gives thanks. He blesses it. He hands it out. He tells everybody, eat as much as you want. And, and they do. And so much so that there's 12 baskets. Each of the disciples is able to fill a basket afterward. There's so much left over. They each fill a basket with the leftovers. Jesus said, let nothing be wasted. There's a good, a good lesson in stewardship there. We'll get to that in just a second. So Jesus then goes up on a mountain because he knows the people want to make him a king. They, they want him to be their, their, their political king. Jesus didn't come to be a political king. He came to be a savior, the king of our hearts. He gave up his life. He went to the cross and he suffered and he died for our sins. He was the perfect human sacrifice who could take away our sins. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. There has to be a sacrifice. It's the, it's the equation, the mathematical equation of the universe. Sin can only be forgiven by blood. And Jesus, as the perfect human sacrifice, shed his blood on the cross so that our sins for, can be forgiven. And if we will believe in Jesus, repent from our sins, confess our faith, and be baptized, our sins will be washed away and we will be forgiven. We will be set free from the bonds of slavery and sin. And we will have the promise of eternal life in heaven. As well as forgiveness here on earth. All the guilt and all the shame washed away. By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. But it doesn't help us in our problem. It, it doesn't help us with this problem of, of human eyes versus eyes of faith. You see, human eyes can only see the problems. But eyes of faith can see the possibilities. Human eyes can only see the problems, but eyes of faith can see the possibilities. Human eyes say, I'm in a financial mess. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Uh, human eyes say, I've got to do something. Human eyes ask the question, what can I do? Eyes of faith say, what can God do? There was a little boy at church, and the deacon walked up to him and said, hey, uh, son, I will give you a, a shiny new quarter if you can tell me something God can do. The little kid looked up at the deacon and said, Mister, I'll give you a bag of quarters if you show me something God can't do. Out of the mouths of babes, right? God can do anything. There is nothing that is impossible for God. Our, your financial situation, you may be thinking right now, there is nothing that I can do about this. That's the place to start. Don't. It's not up to you. It's not about pulling up your bootstraps. It's not about working more, working harder, doing more, doing more, doing more. It's about trusting Jesus. Because when you put your situation in the hands of the master of multiplication, he will take care of your situation. God knows what you need. And he can provide for what you need. Listen to this. This is from Matthew chapter 6. Verses 31 through 34. 
Jesus is talking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount and says, don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your what? Needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus knows what you need. He knows your struggle. He knows your financial situation. He knows what you need. He knows you need food. He knows you need clothes. He knows you need a shelter. He knows what you need. Put your trust in him. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, My God will meet all your needs. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, there is nothing that is impossible for God. He owns everything, and he can do whatever it takes, move heaven and earth to meet your needs. He can, and he will. And I believe that there's uh, some steps that we can take to bring this about. There's some things that we can do, things that we should do, some steps that we need to take. The first one, the first step we need to take is we need to trust Jesus. We need to trust Jesus. Put your situation in his hands, his more than capable hands. That's what Andrew did. Look, I don't have, we don't have much. Five little loaves of bread and two fish, but he put them in Jesus' hands. And when he put them in Jesus' hands, he fed a multitude. He was able to multiply it and take care of the needs of everyone there on that day. So much so there was even leftovers. They didn't have microwaves, so I don't know what they did with them, but they had leftovers. So the first thing that we have to do is trust Jesus. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in in your own abilities and in your own strength. Your strength will fail you, but Jesus will never fail you. Trust Jesus with your situation. Uh, The second thing that we can do is we need to be good stewards. What did Jesus say? Let nothing be wasted. See, that's where we run into problems. We're not always the best stewards. A a steward is someone who takes care of somebody else's property, who takes care of somebody else's things. And when the Bible says that we need to be good stewards, it means we are taking care of someone else's things. We tend to think of our possessions and our money and everything that we have as our own. In reality, they are gifts from God. We are stewards of what he has provided So we need to be good stewards with it. We need to make wise choices. We need to make good decisions. I need less Butterburger. And so do you. We need to be wise with what we have. We can't complain about our financial situation if we're not being smart with our money. Doesn't do any good. Don't just sit and complain about it. Read a book. Take a seminar. YouTube it. But do something to be a better steward. Give... uh, responsibly live responsibly be a good steward with what god has blessed you does that make sense be a good steward the last thing that we can do is we need to be thankful we need to be thankful what did jesus do he took the bread and the and the fish and he gave thanks for it here's a a jewish saying i want to share with you says he who partakes of anything without giving thanks acts as if he were stealing it from god you get a little chill there? I got a little chill there. He who partakes of anything without giving thanks acts as if he were stealing it from God. We need to be thankful people. 
We need to be thankful. There was a story of, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, uh, was sitting at a restaurant eating, and he bowed to give thanks. And uh, the, the man who was sitting across from him said, I never do that. When I get, I work, I get what I work for. I worked hard for this meal. And when I sit down, I just dive right in. And Chesterton looked at him and said, so does my dog. Be thankful. Yeah. <laughs> Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what God has provided. The, the reason that we don't get, the reason that we're not thankful for what we have is because we're too busy looking at what everybody else has. We're looking at what, uh, oh, I, I don't have a new car. I don't have a new house. I don't have a new uh, gadget. That's me. That, that's my journey. But we're not thankful people, and we need to be more thankful to what Jesus has done for us already, for the gifts that he has given to us. We need to be more thankful. Um, so what does this look like for us on a regular basis? There, there's some things I think that, that we can do uh, to, uh, to improve our situations. The first is pray about it. When was the last time you prayed about your financial situation? You see, I'm going to do all the effort, I'm going to do all the work, and I'm going to go out and get a third, fourth, fifth job. Pause. Tap the brakes. Pray about it. God, what would you have me do? God, can you pr- would you please provide for this situation? Lord, I don't know where my mortgage payment's going to come from. Would you provide? Please provide for me and my family. When was the last time you prayed about your financial situation? We'll do everything else, but we won't pray about it. Pray about your financial situation. Second, be a good steward. Think about the decisions that you're making. Go through your checkbook. Go through your software, whatever you use. Talk to your accountant, whatever you got to do. What kind of steward are you being? Are you being wise with what God has blessed you with? And lastly, like I said before, be thankful. Be thankful for what God has provided When we look at our situations with human eyes, we will only see the problems. But when we look through eyes of faith, we will see the possibilities. Trust God to provide because nothing is impossible for God. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would provide for us, that you would help us to understand and recognize our needs and to help us to be good stewards that we would be wise with the things that you have blessed us with, and that we would uh, take care of the things that you've given to us. But again, Lord, help us to be good stewards. Help us to be smart. Help us to, to make good choices. Help us to trust you. I pray that as we uh, think about our situations, as we think about our needs, that you would provide for us and that you would remind us to come to you. Instead of trying to do it all on our own, Remind us that we can come to you. So, Lord, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name this morning. And we give you all the praise and glory for all you've done in our lives and for all that you want to do. We bless you in Jesus' name.